Hey everybody, it's Stephen Brad on Jonah for Going Off Track, coming to you pre-recorded at Rubber Track Studios <laughs> in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where the hipsters come out during the day as well as at night. Man, riding on the train to get here, there was some girl who's just lying down on the bench, mm-hmm. messing with her phone, with her scarf dragging slightly on the floor, and it took every ounce of me not to walk up and just shove that scarf in between the door. <laughs> So it's like, you <laughs> rude young lady, you are lying down uh, with your feet up mm, on the bed. People kids. sit there, children sit there, and you're on your phone. And by the way, we're underground. That phone's not working. Yeah. I no know respect. that. No respect for these That's kids. rude, rude as all get out. So here's the thing. When you, when you live in, in the Williamsburg, uh, and you- In the you, WB, as they call it. In the WB, to, to make egress into Manhattan, you have to ride the L train. The L stands for be- between K and M, and it's or lower, whatever. And you get on the L train, and I've done this because when I first moved to New York, I had to stay in, in Williamsburg. And, and the L train in the morning is the equivalent of pack like sardines in a tin. Like it's so, so packed. It's the only route. But Brad, you have the opposite experience. I, you, well, first of all, I'm going the opposite direction. So, so, so you ride the train with no one. Correct, but I off, I usually take my bike. So, you fit bastards, both of you. It really annoys me. <laughs> but uh, but so I get all the hipsters on their on their uh, you know on their single, double tall single gear, whatever the hell you call those fixed bikes. gear, fixed gear, fixies. You call them fixies. What does that even mean? It means that there's no. It's just fixed gear. There's. It doesn't even. The real, true, hardcore fixies don't even have a brakes right? wheel. So that like when they're going downhill and they're not pedaling, they actually have to take their feet off the pedals and let them spin. I think the thought is they're just the less stuff you have, the lighter it is, or something. Well, and the thing is, the front tire is really, really big, and the back one's really, really small, and you've got to wear a top hat while you're riding. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I I've lived in. <laughs> <laughs> I, go ahead so I was, whatever. <laughs> no. I was I'm the so one. backing that I was like this is fantastic I'm learning something and then boom he got me with the monocle tomorrow I will see that guy <laughs> I swear there will be somebody doing that I, I'm in confident. this neighborhood I'm fully there confident there will be for sure but no so I'm the, going the other direction on my non-fixie and they're all coming at me but it's great because I mean you know there's a lot of cute girls that ride bikes so that's true get that's true. Girl, but do, of, I do take the train sometimes, and yeah, it is that is the case. I, I've lived in Williamsburg on and off for a long time. I've never ridden the train at that time in the morning. I just won't do it. You're smart. I never have to. No, which is great for your schedule. Yes. Delicious. Yeah, I, I've done it, and I don't understand it, but then there's this horrible urge that I have, and sometimes I've acted on it while I've been there, and sometimes I feel bad, but most of the time I don't. <laughs> just to be in that pack situation and fart. <laughs> And, and and like you're that guy, yeah. Well, no, not like this. I like I'll go for the loud one because why not? What are they going to do? I'm not going to see these people again unless I ride the train in the morning in the, that same car. They don't know my birthday. <laughs> like like Jeff, our, my old drummer, used to. I don't know why I thought it was funny to go into the bathroom and and just make terrible farting sounds when he wasn't actually. You know, when you go in there in a public restroom and you're always doing your best not to fucking sound terribly flatulent while you're taking a dump and he would do just the opposite he'd be sitting on the toilet and making his own sounds because he wasn't making enough out of his ass this defines what i love about this podcast because our guest today is dave bazan and it's one of the most introspective (laughs) 
coolest, <laughs> highbrow, intimate <laughs> interviews we have. Dave, if you're listening to this, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I just launched into farting on a crowded subway. It really is. That was a, it's such a great talk with him, and he's so cool and so awesome, and we delves into so many things. And I, di- I, I disagree. I think he's going to love that intro. No, I think he will, too. He's, <laughs> he's got a good sense of humor. He's a really amazing, talented dude, but I think he also is. Is he your favorite singer-songwriter? He is up there, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, that's I mean, how, I mean I've see, I learned that I had seen Pedro the Lion and always heard about him. Uh, you know, if you're a Jade Tree fan, as I think we all were at one point. But you were the one who really introduced me, just Dave Bazan. Like, this is him. This is how he right. works. And uh, I hope this, when you all hear this, will go out and buy every record he's ever done. Definitely. Because and, and if you really like it, he just put out a vinyl box set of his five J-Tree records. Oh, great. Um, it's hard to find a friend, Control, Achilles Heel. You just want to see if... Achilles Heel, that's the one I have. Achilles Heel was the last one. You just want to see if you could do that. I can't believe I can't do this. Dun, 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 um, dun. Whatever. But you can get them all together and it's like super... Orange Rhyming Dictionary. <laughs> They're super... That's Jester Brazil. That's why it's funny, but it's Jade Tree. <laughs> Rock and roll record joke. Um, so yeah, buy his stuff. Go see him. Go to one of his house shows. They're amazing. You will never see anything like it, I promise. Except in 10 years when everyone's doing it because no <laughs> one's making money selling records. So Dave is on. Going off track. Let's do it. It's going off First time I saw Pedro Lyon, you had this backing band called Death Cab for Cutie who <laughs> opened for you and then performed as your band. Well, and uh, just Ben played in in, uh, in the band. But yeah, they opened... Didn't, didn't Ben, something happen with him at CMJ? Yeah, he, they had to drop off the tour because he got really sick. Like he, um, he was playing... In some cases, we were playing two shows in a night, so he was playing four sets, and he was vegan, and I think, like, you know, not getting protein where he where he needed it, and he just, his body just freaked out. So they went home and then joined us for the West Coast part of the tour. Okay. So, yeah, um, in 2001. Yes. I wanted to talk about something else that yeah. I have a lot of stuff I want to talk about. Right on. Yeah, that, well, I have to I have to intro this because we have Dave, okay. Dave Bazan here. Yes, who I know from Pedro the Lion. Mm-hmm. I've, I've now remembered that yes, I did see the band and you, but also just from the sheer joy and love that Jonah Bear has for you <laughs> and your songwriting. I stayed over at his house one weekend. It was like like my last dude weekend before my children were born uh-huh. and he took me to Saturday Night Live where his sister's on and um, the night before SNL we went out to Idle Hands and got really drunk like you do and the next day we were both recovering and Jonah in a kimono uh-huh. in his apartment said hey man I'm just gonna go lay down for a bit and listen to this new Dave Bazan record and I was like okay and he just disappeared in the bedroom <laughs> and just crashed and it was like it was like a, his fountain of rejuvenation for that's the rest awesome. of the evening. It was nice. Yeah. That's awesome. It's a beautiful moment. So I'm very excited to sit and, and watch this occur. Well, you know what I think is interesting is I talk about a lot in the podcast through my job, like being a critic. Mm-hmm. You make a lot of friends and a lot of enemies. Yeah. And people are not, are not good at taking criticism. I remember you were one of the few people where like, I feel like I gave kind of a weird review to the headphones record. Mm-hmm. And I saw you on that at the grog shop yep, when clean, that yeah. yes, when the fewer moving parts mm-hmm. thing came out, 
And like you came up to me and we were talking and I had had like a really weird day and you were like, I read that review. I thought like you brought up some really good points. Like, and I was like, wow, this is like a constructive <laughs> and it's like, obviously I was a fan, but it was, I thought, I felt like that was a really cool moment that normally it's like, fuck this guy. Well, you know, I've, I've had plenty of like bad reviews that were not, that were not constructive, that were just, you know, um, just absurd and clearly mean-spirited but people saying like here's what i liked about the record here's what i don't like about the right. record that's music criticism like that's how it's supposed to work and so when so when that review happened i i just i thought it was a good review and i mean it was a i thought it was a well-done review and, and on point and so yeah i i was happy to to come up and you know say that to you because well, in that night, too, we talked, because I asked, do you ever change your mind? Like, once you review a record, and you were like, yeah, that does happen sometimes, and I was like, a ghost is born? And you were like, yes, a ghost totally, is born, because totally. so many people panned that record when it first came out, and I think it's the best Wilco record um, by a lot. Um, but it was just so much more complex and uh, and weird. But So, yeah, that was a fun night. I, I that is a really good record. I saw that tour. That's a Ooh, good, it is good. good record. I saw that tour at Radio City, and it just sounded oh yeah incredible. And he does. Um, uh, <clears throat> why am I blanking on his name? Glenn, the drummer. He does a lot of crazy stuff on that record. Yeah, which is really really good. Right on. Yes. Um, you have notes. I love. I it. know. I took some notes. Well, I just I wanted. There's so many things that are sort of interesting that I wanted to talk. This about. This is the antithesis of what this is about with <laughs> notes, Jonah. I know. I know. This is the opposite. Well, I'll, I I'll allow it. <laughs> I I was curious how I feel like your business model has been so interesting too. Mm-hmm. Like with the house shows and with I don't know what your relationship is with Spotify, but I remember you talking about that. I mm-hmm. mean, how did. Where do you stand on that kind of stuff? Like, how much of that is you thinking about it? How much is Bob? How much is... Like, where do these ideas come from? Because I feel like it's... You have a really unique kind of perspective on things. Um, well, uh, Bob is is my manager, and, and our mind is almost one on a lot of stuff. I mean, there are things that we disagree on sometimes. Um, for instance, you know, he was for adding the Mercury Lounge show. Uh, this week and uh, i really didn't want to do that <laughs> but he was right um and uh so yeah we w- you know we're just trying to make it make this thing sustainable there's so many things that have come up now in the last you know since like 08 09 you know with not only the 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 economic downturn but just how many more bands are touring um, where you just aren't, you know, we get a, a lot of pushback from our booking agent if we want to play a town more than once on an album cycle. Where in 2002, 2003, we would play five tours. Like we'd play New York five times on an album. And you just can't get away with doing that now. Promoters are, are freaked out. And so we were trying to figure out a way, well, I need to be on the road. This is how I make my living. And so we came up with this house show idea. And so... You know, this year I played 18 weeks of house shows and then we did, and then six weeks of, of a band tour. Um, but it just makes it sustainable. And, um, what's the house show? I don't know. So what we do is, um, I, I come up with a routing that's sort of like an ideal 
you know, routing uh, with the, t- you know, the towns and the corresponding like that we're going to leave, you know, March 1st. And this is, you know, day by day where we want to end up. We put that up on the Internet and just say, hey, does anybody in these towns want to host a show on this day um, that that's, you know, uh, in the routing? And then we get you know, a bunch of responses. And then Bob and Trey, my ma- uh, manager and booking agent, sift through them, figure out this is the house, this is the house, this is the house. And then we put it up on sale uh, through PayPal. And usually by the time I leave on tour, all the shows have sold out and I've been paid for the entire tour. And then, and so the hosts don't have to deal with money. Um, and we, we, well, you know, we would say, you know, m- March 20th, Brooklyn, New York, do you want to buy a ticket? And then once people pay the money and buy the ticket, then we give them the address. So no one knows where the show is except for the people who have bought the tickets. And in, I mean, I've played 350 of these house shows since 2009, and we've had no crashers ever. And so it's this this way of doing things that we came up with where... How did the people who have the house get paid? They don't. They just oh. they just want to do it. But wait, you say house? It's not at a venue. It's at a house. Yeah, it's just in someone's living room. Yeah. Oh, Although last yeah. time I've been to most of them here, and last time you were here, it was in the nicest apartment I've ever been in in my life. It was yeah. like this rooftop apartment in this new condo in Williamsburg, with like a roof deck. Mm-hmm. So it's so cool. how do you it's know cool. what like the cap is gonna like the capacity is gonna be? Well, so they just one of the keys is that we want the host to have a good time and feel comfortable. So we. It, it, the minimum is 35 or 40. And so if they kind of, and they know that going in. And so, and then we just say, okay, how big's the room? Um, and how many do you think you can fit in there? And so that a lot of times we leave all kinds of money on the table because we could fit 50 or 60 people in there, but they're like, I don't know, maybe 40. Yeah, let's do 40. And so then we're like, yeah, 40 is great. And so then we just, you know, we do that so that, you know, and we don't ask for anything, a bottle of water from the host or anything, just like, so, so, so that they're not overtaxed. I mean, like you like you mentioned, there's no money changing hands right. with with us and the host. It's just people who want to have that experience and to put a you know have a living room show in their house. And then I just people show up about seven thirty. I show up about seven fifty five for an eight o'clock start. Come in to start playing, um, and then you know I'm, I play for seventy minutes. And then hang out for half an hour or whatever, and usually everybody's out by ten, and it's really, usually really mellow. I mean, people br- bring drinks and stuff, but it's um, it's definitely not like a party, right? Atmosphere. Have it's, you ever had any like overly enthusiastic kids go like, "Yeah, dude, we can do it in my basement. My parents aren't home," <laughs> or anything like backfiring situation? Only one time did did a host cancel after. Um, they we we booked the show with them and it and it wasn't it was it was actually I felt bad for the guy he was a he was on staff at a church that was his, his job he was like a, a youth pastor or something and his boss the the head pastor found out that I was going to be playing at his house and told him that he didn't think it was a good idea to have me there because of the content of my records and my views on religion and stuff. And so he was really bummed. He ended up coming to the show in that town. Once we rebooked it, it was in in Pittsburgh. But uh, but one, that guy, the, the pastor, I I would hope, I guess, listened to your record. So I guess that's a plus. At least he listened to it. He probably did. (laughs) Yeah. But what's the, I mean, what, 
specific content do you think he was referencing? Um, you know, I, I grew up Christian and I've, um, and I'm not a uh, Christian uh, anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, I've sang about it quite a bit. And there's a record called Curse Your Branches that is all about just what doesn't make logical sense to me about uh, the the narrative of of christianity and so it's it's i don't know it's contentious i mean and it's it's certainly threatening <laughs> i think um to people who must believe that so, what denomination were you um i grew up basically evangelical oh, okay yeah christian where are you from again uh phoenix but i've lived in seattle for 22 years got it okay i mean how much of your fan base do you think is still that like old kind of christian youth fan base and how much of it is do you have you noticed like a palpable shift at all you know it's really it's it's been a tricky thing to to put our finger on the whole time like even in 2002 you know, the, the person at the merch booth was the one who maybe could have the best vantage point because, you know, people come up and their T-shirts indicate something or but I really don't know. Um, surprisingly, after Kershaw Branches came out, there's still a lot of people that do come up to me and say, hey, I'm a Christian, but I really love that record. And it's just, you know, it's nice to be able to be honest about your own doubts. And but I I you know, stayed Christian or whatever. And it's just like, I don't understand how necessarily, but hooray, you know, that's, that's great. Um, I, I thought that it was going to be a deal breaker for, uh, a lot of folks who, um, not that I was trying to break up with them, right? um, but yeah, so there's, I really have no idea. It's, it's really difficult to get a perspective on who's in the audience at any given show. What was it that caused your uh, evangelical... What, what, what caused you to doubt your faith, I guess? Um, Which is a weird phrase, because when you're grown-up taught something, it's bizarre to think that that's faith in it, you know? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I, I was old enough where I, I really had made it my own to a certain degree. Um, but it really was... Um, I mean, simply... I uh, I realized that the the main premises of my belief system were um, uh, based on assumptions that I had made my entire life, and I thought, well, if I'm going to really be serious about this, I should go and investigate each of the the, the foundational premises, and um, and then I can kind of move on with you know, with my faith, assuming that once I investigated them, there would be a basis that was compelling to me for each of them. And as it turns out, there just, there just wasn't, um, the, a lot. (laughs) Yeah. And which was, it was disappointing. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a disheartening moment when when you realize your parents are in fact Santa Claus. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, so, and, the the toughest thing about it is that um, I mean it is it's a it's a series of really intense mind games, um, cultural mind games, you know, uh, sort of the social pressure from your immediate community and um, you know just the intensity of the culture wars all right inside your own body, you know, uh, and then to 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 go through that process gracefully in any way is really tough because you're going to tend to 
have the pendulum swing way, way the other way? And then how long does it take to find kind of a natural balance? Uh, and it, it's been interesting. But um, so that's why, because I do all that stuff kind of out in the open, you know, and, and write about it and on the records. And so that's why a pastor of a church would m- maybe feel that feel that way it's kind of a bummer for that pastor to not go this is where this guy thinks go check it out see what you think the the guy that whose house it was was um he was so cool and he was just in a weird spot but the the cool thing is that after that the a lot of the elders and the board of the church got wind of the controversy and each of them went and looked at the records and listened to it and most of them disagreed with the head pastor and were like you know I think that that kind of dissent or or um, discussion is is more than fine, and so it was. A, ultimately, it seemed like it was a good sort of like um, event within their little community of people, kind of opening up their minds a little bit. But it was it, it was embarrassing for that guy, and I just assured him like, "Look, you didn't do this on purpose. Like, mm-hmm. you know, don't worry about it." So. Well, I'm curious. I mean, it seems like you do put so much of yourself out there, whether it's like writing about religion or like writing a song like Options, or mm-hmm. it's like, I've, and I've seen 800 Q and A's with you, where people are like, "What does your wife think of this? Mm-hmm. Like, what's this?" I mean, what kind of compels you to put yourself out there so much, and kind of because it must make your life harder in a lot of ways. I, you know, it it really doesn't. Um, uh, it, I feel like it makes my life easier, really, um, because. Um, it's not, it's not like I would be lying if I didn't, wasn't that way, but the, but I think lying is a good analogy. Like when you've got all these things that you got to kind of keep track of and you're this way with this person and that way with this person, it's just a lot of energy and, and usually it blows up in your face. And so for me, transparency and genuineness, you know, some kind of personal authenticity is just, it's just an easier way to, to live and, um, and I don't know how to, I don't know how to be any other way, you know. Also, um, occasionally, um, when I have to do a lot of press and it's like interview after interview after interview, the interview part is fine. But when all that press hits the street at the same moment, and it's just like when Kershaw Branches came out in two thousand nine, there was a week in September of two thousand nine where like probably 15 interviews hit at the same time. And that made me feel horrible because it's just too much of me, you know, wagging my tongue. Right. But other than that, all, all of it is, I mean, I, I just like, I, I really believe that, you know, the more sunlight that can be let in to, 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 to the inner workings of, you know, an institution like marriage or government or anything is just going to make it better. And so I, that's how I kind of conduct myself too. But do you think like your, like your family, your wife realize, like view your music as you have characters and mm-hmm. that stuff? I mean, cause there is, do you ever think like, oh, I don't know if I should write about this infidelity thing. Cause my wife's family might not get the wife's family. That is tough. My wife knows, you know, what, is what when when a song happens she right. knows what because we just you know we're pretty tight and so she she knows what tends to reflect something true about us and what is you know just a character um yeah my my family also know my wife's family i don't know what they i don't know if they listen at all um i'm it, 
it might be better if they if they don't. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> Uh, but they're they're real let sleeping dogs lie kind of folks, um, and so you know I, that, that's a good question. I, I really don't know what they think. Um, How long have you been married? Thir- uh, Thirteen years. Oh, so just brand new. Fresh yeah, into it's, it. yeah. <laughs> Still uh, getting your footing. Yeah, we, we're figuring it out. I think it's going to work. <laughs> um, you have children. Yeah, um, an eight year old and a three year old. All right on. Yeah. Uh, and so you said earlier, talk about sustainability. So this has been, you've been doing bands and things for ever and ever. Yeah, I mean, I I haven't had another job besides uh, this since 1997. Wow. So, and I've been touring full time since 1998, which is roughly between 100 and 200 shows a year since 98. Um, and then the last two years have been a lot. Like last year was 205 uh, wow. days away. Um, oh man! And uh, so then this year I shaved like a whole month off that, which is good. Um, that was too much. Um, yeah, how, I mean, how does that work with with the kids and stuff? Is it, I mean, they're, I guess they're born into it. Yeah, but so, but for you, um, it you know it smarts a little. Um, but the thing that I care more about is just how they feel if they have you know this. I don't think that they you know those kind of pangs of longing for me to be there like if they have if that really causes them to suffer um i that's what i worry about Mm -hmm. so far it seems like it's it's not my wife is pretty great and doesn't resent me being gone Mm -hmm. um at all um from what i can tell so there's no like no resentment on her part that then is sort of transferred to the kids Mm -hmm. it's you know they there's a there's a map on the wall down uh, at my son's level that every morning they wake up and make a dot in the town and he figures out the route that, you know, with a dry erase marker and there's a little, little photo of me in the van that they move around, the, <laughs> you know, the country on that thing. And so it's, you know, with FaceTime and all that stuff that, that <clears throat> is pretty meaningful. Um, you know, even to the point where my wife was, you know, in the back of the house getting ready or something. And I was talking to my kids on FaceTime cause I could just, my wife's phone was there. So I was sitting on the coffee table and my son's just hanging out and we're talking and it, my wife comes out and my son goes, mom, daddy's here. And that just made me feel great. Like for him, it was, you know, close to me being there, you know, that he, he was excited about it. So well, that's what he's, that's what he grows up with. So yeah. that's his, that's his relationship. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. So are you, sounds like since you've been doing this and you know how to do this mm-hmm. and, and are evolving in the ways the industry should, uh, shouldn't say industry, but the way as an artist, you should, do you tour say, you know, a couple weeks at a time, then I'm home for a couple weeks, and I tour for a couple weeks, and I'm home. Or do you do chunks? It's big, bigger chunks, and that has more to do with the geography of living in Seattle. Once, I mean, the western states, the western half of the United States, I think, has less than 25% of the music markets. I mean, east of I-35 is where all the music markets are. And so once you do the work and uh, lay out the money to get to i-35 like it's cost effective to kind of stay out if i lived in st louis i could just do these little you know that just hit the the spokes of a wheel all the way around um you know and do a couple weeks in a loop and then 
but since I live out there, so I, it's usually six weeks. It's usually 40 days Okay, is, is how long I'm gone. This time is a little bit more than that, but we get to go home for Thanksgiving. Right. Um, so on Tuesday, we'll fly, I'll fly home. It was very, very um, uh, revealing that documentary, the um, the other F word. Did you see that at all? Yeah. It was one. It's basically about Jim Lindbergh when he's leaving Pennywise, but they do interviews with all these guys in bands. From, yeah. You know, Blink One Eighty Two. It's a lot, a lot of punk bands. Yeah. But they talk to. Um, Is it uh, family? Is it? it, it it's it's a uh, fatherhood. Fatherhood. <clears throat> it's about you know being a dad and being yeah. in a band. Yeah. And they they talk to. Um, Tim McGilrath from Rise Against, and he said, I've never, he said, my daughter's five at the time. He's yeah. like, and I've never gone trick-or-treating yeah. because that's such a big night for us. Yeah. And he said, and it's, it's horrible, but yeah. it's, daddy's working, yeah. you know? And it's, it's, it's very interesting in the balance and how you do it. It is a trip. It's a pretty good documentary. I'll, I'll check that out for <laughs> sure. I mean, that's really uh, pertinent. The... So our my wedding anniversary is uh, September 11th, um, and my wa- my daughter's birthday is September 29th. Um, my w- wife's birthday is November 4th. So it's like beginning of September, beginning of October, beginning of November is are like three. So I miss two out of three every every year, you know. And it's just a matter of, and it's always my wife's birthday and our anniversary. I mean, <laughs> I never miss my daughter's birthday. Yeah. Um, uh, that, that's a given. Once you have kids, you're like, oh, we'll talk on the phone. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm always home. Like I'm, I, it feels important to be home for her birthday. And even if I'm gone on the day, like we'll have a big party the week before or something like that. But yeah, it's um, <clears throat> like so many things. It's just the particulars of your situation. You just have to figure out how to navigate those, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and be really conscientious and really. Um, you know, serious about producing an outcome that everybody can live with, you know? And so, um, for, you know, and for me, the house show thing has been huge, a huge help on those tours. I camp in my van because it's, it's, I make it my, you know, I build it out so it's comfortable and I've got like a, you know, a nice twin bed in there and I cook my own food out of the back of it. And it just makes it to where, you know, I can, bring as much of the money home as possible um and at first it was a i thought of it as a sacrifice but now i, I like i like doing it that way you, well, you, jam, know, you jam a cano uh, yeah absolutely. you know what i thought was interesting was you know when bob came out and you guys were talking about not maybe participating with spotify and those kind of things mm-hmm. i was like dave seems so ahead of the curve on this house show thing like mm-hmm. i feel like everyone will be doing that five years from now i was like i should pay attention to what he's doing here because i feel like maybe I don't know. I feel like you guys have a good feel for this kind of technology. You're, I guess. you're, you're not doing Spotify? We haven't. So with the Spotify thing, I think that we're just trying to wrap our heads around ha- how um, all the the digital music stuff and compensation and like how what our relationship with all that is and what is sort of like the the fundamental guiding ethic of it and so some of it is just like a gut reaction like that seems um are we allowed to swear yes oh, okay please. that seems fucked up um <laughs> and um 
so that was just like a gut reaction, basically reading about how Spotify kind of began and how the money kind of worked for the labels involved and how it works or rather doesn't work for the artists involved. It just seemed um, it was offensive. And so that it was more of a gut reaction. And so I think that we might participate in Spotify moving forward. But what it and the, the, the tension of okay, we're not doing that and we need to have a good reason and so we're just constantly thinking and talking about it all the time. And to me, I, now what I tell people is like, look, I think that, that music um, is a lot like, can be a lot like food um, in that there are some, you know, people who genuinely love it, love music and get a lot of nourishment out of it. And then there's some people who would be the equivalent of just like radio listeners um you know 30 years ago who never really cared about anything more than the single or sort of like the surface of it um but the more that if you can have a relationship with your farmer or whatever then you're gonna you're, you're just um you're going to have a better understanding of how things work, how compensation works, where things are coming from, what makes a thing sustainable. And so I just tell people, look, if you really love eight bands or ten bands and consistently you like their records, just get to know them. Like get on Twitter, get on Facebook, like strike up, you know, go up to them at the show and tune in to, to what's going on. And if you do that, I don't care what you do in terms of do you listen to it on spotify do you buy the vinyl it doesn't matter to me because if if you have fans that are are participating in a direct way they're going to naturally do the most right thing that they would that they would do you know it if they're you know only free downloaders i think that that would even be altered if they begin to have a like an empathetic relationship with the artists that they care about um you know, and so the house shows enhance that because it's a much more personal, they, you know, um, experience with me. It's a, it's, you know, there's no separation. You know, they can, the, you know, the texture of people that you, that gets a little washed out at Music Hall of Williamsburg because you're way far away on the stage. It's just hanging out in a living room, no place to go. And so all of that stuff to us, it just, we want to have invested relationships with the people that you know that that like our music and that we know that they'll do right by us and that so now i just i'm not worried about spotify or any of that other stuff our focus is just to try to respect the trust that 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 our fans my fans have extended um to me and and um treat them with respect and treat them like people and uh and it's been working out. It really, really has. I'm curious about the the. You say you're you're camping out in your van. Mm -hmm. If you're doing all these house shows, don't they have a room? <clears throat> they they do. Um, but Feel weird about that. You know, I we just want to ask the, the the just the very minimal, um, the the just the minimum from the hosts, so mm -hmm. that it's not too much. Because it is, you know, like we said, they are doing it for free, um, but also it's such an intimate. Um, show experience mm -hmm. that it's nice to just get away and be uh, you know completely mm -hmm. alone for a little while before before bed yeah. um and so yeah that's that's been a, a thing that's worked for me like i can deal with 
how intense it is um, if I can kind of pull pull out at, mm-hmm. at the end of the night and just kind of what makes it so intense your performance well it's it's just the interaction I mean there's no they have complete access you know there's no green room yeah. it's just you you that's one of the reasons why I show up like right when it's time to play because talking after the show is great talking before the show is really awkward um, so I just show up and we start playing and there's Q&A during the show, which at a house show can kind of go on for a little longer than at a, at a rock club because I can take the temperature of the room pretty accurately in a house show. So if everybody, you know, the, the energy is that everybody wants to be having this conversation, we'll talk for 10 minutes in between songs. Um, but then as soon as some people just kind of, you know, they're ready for more music, I can tell. And so, you know, then I'll just start you know, playing again. So it, it is a really interactive and kind of, I hate that word, but, um, in a, you know, also I hate this word an intimate, um, you know, just avoid I words period. Yeah, that's right. Do you get sick of answering the same questions during the Q and a having done this for so long? I've seen you ask the same question so many times (laughs) and I haven't been at most of your shows. Yeah. Um, no, the only, the only thing that I worry about is, is folks like you who have been to so many shows and, who have heard the same answers. I still like hearing you know. it. I'm just curious from your... Well, because the tough. answers do morph yeah. uh, over time, um, and the question morphs ever so slightly. But, um, no, I mean, I have... You know, I... I've, I have, like, a, a disorder where I, I want people to understand, and so when there's, like, a question, like, I want to be clear, or to be understood, or to... to so I'm motivated by that. When a, when a question pops up, I forget that it was ever asked before, and I just try to do my very best to be as clear as possible with with the answer, um, which is, you know, one of the reasons why there's zero mystery to my, you know, my music or or whatever. And and sometimes I wish there was more, like you know, the Brit Daniels of the world, quite mysterious, and it's yes. pretty hot. Um, but uh, I, I don't have that. So yeah, I, I just I'm happy to. You're just all out there. Is yeah. there ever a point though where like you've been at it one and you're like, you know what? Actually, that question is too personal. Or I usually, I'll, if if it is, I'll just um, kind of shrug it off in hopefully a humorous way. You know, I'm a pretty distracted dude, and so I can. I don't really have to say no thanks. You know, I'll just kind of take it somewhere else. And but it's very, it's really rare, if if ever. You know, people. You know, people are pretty good. They're, they're you know they're not asking about. I don't even know what it would have to be. Something about my wife that was like inappropriate or something right. like that. That I just. But then it would be a joke. You know, a funny joke. So. Um, I want to talk about overseas also. Okay. Um, so Dave has a new band. With two of the dudes from Bedhead, and Will from Central, and Will from Central, which are all you're just talking about. Yes, all bands that I'm obsessed with. Um, So, how did that kind of? How do you market to specifically Jonah? How does that? (laughs) That seems like a bad idea. How do you do that? (laughs) That does not seem like a lucrative (laughs) subgenre because it's like me alone in my apartment. Um, (laughs) That band, you know, I'm, I'm a an enormous bedhead fan in the new year also and in 2002 right before control the pedro record control came out um they i don't know 
I think they were booked by Flower and I don't know how it happened, but I got asked to open some shows for them for the new year. And uh, from that trip, we just started to become acquaintances and then eventually friends. And then in 2007, we did another trip together where um, they used all my gear and I rode in the van with the new year. And um, and after that, we became, you know, friends. And, um, and then in 2008, they needed a guitar player. Um, and they asked me to play guitar and I couldn't cause I was trying to make cursory branches and I just couldn't, couldn't be away. And so Will Johnson from Centromatic d- played guitar on, on a tour with them. And so they became close again. They, they had known each other for years, all being Texas dudes. And, uh, so Matt and Bubba Cadane asked Will and I, if we wanted to be in a band with them and we were like, yes, we do. So. If my 18-year-old self knew what was in store, uh, I don't, I don't know how I would handle it. But it was, it's been great. It's, it's been really great. When does that record come out? Probably May or June. Okay. I think. It, Who's putting it out? I, th- I think us. I, it's going to be a self-release. <clears throat> um, oh, cool. I think we gave it to a lot of labels. Some people seemed like they liked it, but it, it is a side project, and I think that that caused people to, right. to kind of be like, yeah, I don't know. I just think mm-hmm. that's so interesting for you. Like I've seen you with a town hall with like Ben, yeah. like or you, you, your peers with all these guys like Connor or Ben and all <laughs> these dudes. But you also kind of still represent that, like noodley Chicago world. <laughs> like to me, that is so interesting, and, and <clears throat> it boggles my mind why you aren't like headlining town. Like I feel like so many people who came up with have gotten to this level and i feel like your songs are as good and that's something that's always confused me i don't know if it's the nature of the lyrics or i, the, the, I think there's a lot of little things um you know it, it, i'm aware of this now because i saw photos from the show last night but if i was if i looked better like if i was fitter and kind of pre, you know a little bit more dynamic uh presence i think that that would actually make a difference um I think that not having a regular band, like with me and Death Cab, um, I mean, there are, there are other reasons, but they had like a steady live presence for years, and my thing was all over the place. If I had been playing with Andy and Alex, these guys that I've got with me now, I mean, we've been playing for three years, and I feel like we're just kind of gaining steam, and people are seeing, you know, this consistent band who I think gets better. I mean, it's easier and easier for us to, to, to learn songs and play them to my, to my satisfaction. So I think that that has something to do with it too. There was a, uh, on that tour, uh, that you guys were talking about at the, the Warsaw or no, with the, with death cab, I have a poster from a Philly show and it was Pedro line headlining. Bright eyes was main support. Death cab was second of four and her space holiday was first of four. And, um, that, so, and after that, both Bright Eyes and Death Cab obviously went to, you know, the stratosphere. And I'm just, you know, driving around the country in a van, <laughs> playing to 40 people, you know, at houses. But I am, I'm really happy to be doing that. Um, I think the, even the, the success that I had in, in, with Pedro the Lion, um, I'm a pretty undisciplined guy. And so I, I didn't really know how to, I kind of spun out a little bit, um, and so I'm glad for how things things have gone. But yeah, it's it's 
there definitely was a time where I was like, what, what the fuck happened? Like, why, you know, but my songs are, I mean, they're, I'm, I'm obsessed with religion and booze and, you know, and it's a little bit of a one trick pony that not everybody wants to ride, you know. Are you obsessed with all religions or just Christianity specifically? No, just Christianity. There yeah. you go. It, and, you know, the obs- it's a very American obsession. I mean, it's our cult, our, our culture is so defined by pro- Protestant Christianity, you know, and I suppose, you know, Catholicism to a large degree on the East Coast too. Um, but it just, it's such a, like a the, it's like the biggest factor in any election it's and it's crazy it's just it, you know um it just went into congress again i think i was reading just about it that it was it was going before me the supreme court God, I don't quote anything i say ever because i get it all from twitter uh that taking out oh no it was a uh a uh, kid filed a suit because his family's atheist to get under God taken out of the Pledge of Allegiance, mm-hmm. which it wasn't there to begin with. Right. And it got put in by the Knights of Columbus. They pushed to have it put in. Yeah. And then. In like the 50s or something? Yeah. That would, no, this is before. In the 50s is when they pushed to get in God we trust, put on, on the money. money. Yeah. Where if you flip the dollar over, it says the opposite. Uh, yeah. Morons. But, um,. Yeah, it, it is fascinating how that gets in there, and it seems to be the, the the exact antithesis to what the country was founded upon. Well, that's the thing. That's what's depressing. <clears throat> Two hundred yeah. years ago, our politicians and founding fathers like got it. They fought better hard. than they do now. Yeah, know? but the Federalists were more were more religious based, right? Definitely more, and that was and that's you know James Madison, who people love and respect. But then you have Jefferson. Who was like, mm, no. Well, and I think all of them understood. I mean, they fought really hard to to have, to, you know, to have no religious test for office, to have mm-hmm. no religious language in the Constitution at all. And I think that it was when people tried to get Jesus and God into the Constitution that, that they ended up getting under God in the Pledge of Allegiance instead mm-hmm. of that and the in God we trust on the money. Um, and so the whole narrative of the Christian right, you know, Christian nation, Christian nation, and then in this, the 60s, this, you know, cabal of liberal judges, mm-hmm. you know, undid all that stuff is just totally false, you know. Do you, do you think that a lot of times in politics and the way the country runs, specifically with Christianity, that to use that as you know these kind of values or this is what we believe or this is what this country is as a christian nation do you feel that's a feint to cover up for some other shenanigans because sometimes i really think it is <laughs> i literally think it's like really gay marriage is it that big a deal what what yeah. are you hiding like what else is going on is it is oh, it a mortgage yeah. crisis oh shit it is yeah. you know is it i i sincerely wonder if it if that if it's that well i think that you know a lot of it is the, the power grab that started with you know falwell in the late 70s when they you know and they got rid of a very Christian president for a guy who's, you know, just va- only Christian in name only, Reagan. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, the Ralph Reed and Falwell and then, you know, the Lee Atwaters and the Carl Roves, yep. like they worked together pushing these culture war wedge issues to, to, to you know, um, consolidate, to get, you know, 
you know, Democrats in the South to vote against their economic interests. And so in that sense, I think that, that the whole power grab from the religious right, they maybe ha- had their own motivation for it, but the Lee Atwaters and the Karl Roves of the world just used it to, right. to do, to push their absurd economic policies. And that's the thing. That's exactly what it is. It's a power grab. If we do it this way and we say, you know what? It's fucking manifest destiny. That's all it is. Yeah. God, that annoys me. You know, and you look at the you look at the graphs, and the top one percent doubled their wealth in the eight years from two thousand to two thousand eight, and yep. trickle down was it's just a joke. I mean, it's just a well, sick it's trickling joke. down, but it's urine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's trickling down is is poverty. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, all the money, and you know, you like, oh, we give them all this money, and they're going to put it into the the system, and they don't. They just hold on to it. It's in the Cayman Islands. It's- my, my father called me for my birthday, and, and and I love my dad, but half the conversation <laughs> ended up being <laughs> bitching about Obamacare. Yeah, <laughs> and defending. The guy from Papa John's, which annoys me to death. Uh, and I enjoy that, that What happened pizza. with the dude from Papa John's? He's, he's saying that he has to let people go because he's going to have to pay money for He's going to have to raise the price of pizza for, uh, to pay for the, the new health care plan. When, as John Stewart pointedly pointed out... Uh, every year for the Super Bowl, he gives away a million free pizzas, and he does commercials about it. So stop doing that and shut yeah. up. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> but like that, that it, you know what? Manifest destiny. You're absolutely correct. That's all it is: is to shift it so that we can take the land where. Uh, teacher i worked with and you sound a lot like a teacher i don't know if you ever worked as an educator but you have that vibe i would want if i if i couldn't do this anymore that's what i would want to do i think yeah well you're doing it anyway with the q and a's and the songs and stuff and you definitely have that teachers are you just either you i was one for a long time and you either are or you aren't yeah. so you're there but this one teacher said to me all wars are about land and another teacher said no it's about religion he went yeah but what do you get and the guy was like oh you get land. You, get you know, land. it's all it's it's all about that power grab. It's yeah. all about this is my stuff. Suck it. Well, why is it your stuff? Well, the sun god that I've chosen mm-hmm. to worship today says it's my stuff, and your god is stupid. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the Catholic Church was the wealthiest, you know, uh, entity in the in the ancient world. Mm-hmm. For re- I mean, it wasn't happenstance. Like you, you don't become the wealthiest person on accident. Like mm-hmm. you. You have to work pretty pretty hard to do that. And well, if you give us money, we will save you. Yeah. Then, yeah, if you buy an indulgence, that's my favorite it's fucking amazing. thing. It's amazing. You know what the indulgence is? Oh, yeah. Dude, you know about this stuff? Oh, dude, that's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> so you're, you're a rich uh, baron in, 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 in Europe, and you go to the church, and you say, look, I got a lot of money, and I want to be a saint. Oh, well, shit. Well, you can buy... These indulgences, which are the works of saints, yeah. and if you have enough money, we'll give you a relic. What do you want? I want Christ's foreskin. Well, we happen to have that, <laughs> yeah. and then you would buy it, wow. and then you would have, and you, and now these were no longer Saint Thomas Aquinas. It was, yeah. it was yours, and yeah. that's how they money was exchanged. There's relics in the East Village. There's the oldest Catholic church is on um, uh, near where you used to live. It's over on Second and A. It's a gorgeous church. It's really pretty. But you go in there and there's a big whole section of relics yeah. and stuff and, and marks the saints. And and that's what pissed off Martin Luther and yep. why he put the 95 theses on the on the, the Wittenberg door or whatever, yep. nailed them up there and just said, this is what's wrong with the Catholic Church. And that's why Protestantism began is because of they were basically selling mm-hmm. 
you know, to the very rich, they were selling, you know, sainthood and all this other stuff. Yeah. But even just the poor people, they would buy penance, basically. Yeah. You know, you could get, you know, if you had some, you know, you know, um, venial sins that you were, you know, were going to get you in purgatory, you could buy your way into heaven, at, you know, from purgatory just by giving them some money. And, uh, and that's why one of the reasons Protestants don't have saints. Yeah. So which is, which is why whenever someone's canonized that it's just dumb. I have never felt more Jewish. I want to point out that Jonah did bring in notes for that Dave Bazan interview. I did. I brought in some notes. Um, How many did you get to? I would say about half. Did I derail a bunch of them? No. You know what? I will write notes, and then when I look at them, I'm like, what? I'll abbreviate (sighs) stuff and then not remember what I wrote. What's one one do you abbreviate? First time. <laughs> I don't know if that was first time you toured with someone, first time you had sex. I have no idea what it was. We didn't get to it, I don't think. Maybe we did. But I do that all the time on my iCal too. Like it'll be like today it'll just be like the letter Q three thirty and I'm like Oh, I put this in here. But what is it? I couldn't spend that extra like five seconds to write out the word that would trigger my brain. So then it's me spending a half hour going through interview, going through emails, trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do that day because I know I'm supposed to do something. But with Dave, you know, it's like that conversation kind of sustains itself because that guy has so much to say. Oh, man, he was great. And I learned so much about theology. Admittedly, anything about theology is learning for me. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. I the, I'm, I really would like to go to one of those house shows, and I have to. It reminded me that um, you know you hear this from you'll hear this from big artists who are playing like arena shows. How like oh man, I remember back in the day when you used to play these little intimate shows, and they, you're on the floor, and like. But the truth is, it's really it is it's totally true. I mean, because he, he while he was talking about that, he reminded me of this time that uh, we did a tour where we played within weeks of each other. We played the Replay Lounge in uh, Lawrence, which at that time was literally just like you were, you were on the floor with the audience in a space about the size of this. We room. talk about this with Rob Pope, actually, right? And I mean, but what I didn't say that time was that that same tour, like a week later, we played a radio show with Garbage on a huge stage in front of like thousands of people. Where like, and it's really disorienting when you play those kind of shows because you go from like having the drums too loud right behind you to like having to hear the drums and bass and everything just only through monitors. And, um, it was absolutely no fun whatsoever. That big show was not, was not fun. It was the least fun show of the tour. And the replay lounge was by far the funnest show of the tour. And Dave was on ahead of the curve knowing that's how it should be. No, for sure. And, uh, I saw him at Mercury Lounge a couple nights ago and his band right now is so killer. Probably the best, incarnation i've seen of them and his band has changed seven thousand times sometimes he's playing bass sometimes playing guitar sometimes there's two dudes sometimes there's five dudes so this is a time to see him for sure so grab his box set of all the jade tree records of all the cool stuff he's done and if he's in your town why not host a show yeah do it have him play in your living room i think we're gonna do it you should do it how awesome would that be if i had a bigger apartment i would totally do it i might do it anyways you should Do we could it. fit seven people at the show. <laughs> uh, if you guys enjoy the podcast, go ahead and click on the donate button at goingofftrack.com. If you like something or dislike something or want to start a discussion with us, go to facebook.com slash goingofftrack. As always, we don't have comments on the website. We find that um, distressing. <laughs> Tacky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
All right. Well, uh, you'll hear us next week, and we'll hear from you on Facebook, right? Right. Right.